Curry. Curry throws it. Livingston has it. Back to Iguodala. Iguodala puts it up. It's good. Andre Iguodala drills it with 5.9 remaining. What a clutch shot from the veteran. That was the three that ultimately killed the Raptors, but it also was so close to going the other way. 106-104 down in Game 2, having gone 1-0 up with an astounding opening game performance at the Scotiabank Arena. We were but an inch away. Kawhi was so close to stealing it from Livingston. Van Vliet was so close to stealing from Curry earlier in the play, but instead it came out to Iguodala. Historically not a great shooter, but a clutch shooter and a clutch player. More importantly, he sunk the three and condemned the Raptors to a home loss, splitting the series back to the Oracle. To go over the home side first, we've got myself with a bit of analysis, and then we'll go back to our Western Conference expert in the second half of the episode. Let's get straight to business. The reason the Raptors lost... You can put it down to the Warriors' brilliance, but it was themselves in the end. Going up by 10 into halftime, maximum lead of 13, and yet an 18-0 run in the third quarter for the Warriors. That's zero points for the Raptors in the first six or seven minutes of that third quarter, allowing the likes of Clay, Curry and Green to just dominate. That's what that's what put it down to. I mean... You see a stat, the Warriors only hit two more threes than the Raptors in the whole game. The points differential was five. Both teams, at least from the two-point range, shot very differently. And also, I guess, from the three-point range. Warriors shot 46% from the field, 38% from three. Raptors, 37% from the field and 28% from three. It shows, in one way, if the Raptors get their, sh- gets their shots to fall... You know, you won't have Siakam going 5 for 18 again after going 14 from 17 in the first game. You won't have Kawhi maybe, although he's a bit injured, going 8 for 20. Gasol 2 for 7, Lowry 4 for 11. And Green, I guess, he had a similar game to game 1 in which he shot 3 from 7 and a couple of 3s from behind the perimeter. Fred Van Vliet was perhaps the only saving grace in terms of field goals anyway he shot 7 from 17 notching up 17 points and carrying on his new father powers however that run whether it was whether you can blame the refs whether you can blame individual players not shooting I think a lot of it is on Nick Nurse if you're on an 18-0 run and I know he took a timeout in the middle of it and he tried to stop the rot but something needs to change You can't have someone like Norman Powell on the bench, who was plus 13 this game, not going in. Ibaka was plus 3, Van Vliet was plus 3. The bench were all plus on the plus-minus scale. The starters, the opposite. And yet it was the starters that kept in, and the starters that played the majority of the run. Lowry and Kawhi were minus 17 and minus 14 respectively, which you don't expect from your two main players, of course. In any sense... This was a game that you should be encouraged by, as we said before. Once the shots fall, the play is there. The playmaking is there and the defense is there. I know it's only 17 assists in the end, but there was the opportunities. There were bricks. There were brick after brick after brick. And of course, that doesn't create the assists. They don't show stats for chances created or open looks made or open looks uh, attempted, at least. They only show it for the ones made. 
so the assist count's very low on that, especially when he's shooting very low. Kawhi, of course, was in- was injured. He's been injured since the Bucks series. He, however, still managed to pull out 34 points, 16 of 16 from the field, by far and away not only attempting most free throws, but making 100% of them in clutch situations. And again, overall, you lose by two three-pointers. You lose by maybe not getting that, just being inches away from that steal. It's no shame. Next game back, we're likely to have OG Ananubi. They're having Kevin Durant back, but we're having OG Ananubi back. We've only run an eight-man rotation. Fatigue is starting to set in, but when you've got a fresh, brilliantly defensive small forward there, you kind of wonder the impact he'll have on the game, especially when the likes of Quinn Cook and even Andrew Bogut are running loose on the bench for them. Even when you need another body to throw at, someone like Durant, someone like Curry, someone quick, athletic, you've got OG in there. Hopefully he'll hit the ground running and you take game three and you give that response. But in any sense, and we didn't put an episode of the last of the Buck series, but in any sense, it needs to be stressed that anything here is really a bonus. Kawhi is looking more and more likely to stay by the day, despite the game two loss, because we're competing in the finals. We're competitive against the best team in the NBA. And if he leaves now, it will be a surprise. And you kind of think if a player leaves this situation, where he's loved by not only a city, a team, but an entire country, he's fitting in well, he's up 1-0 game one in the NBA finals, and he chooses to go to eighth seed in the West. And you think, do you really want that sort of player? in your team of course you do he's brilliantly not only attitude wise but also you know technically and physically as well but it'll be a very strange decision and one that he will look bad on and probably lose more than Toronto will in the end with that said let's go into a bit of a game analysis with the Western Conference expert and our regular co-host Before that, however, I thought Kawhi gave a nice couple of insightful answers in his post-game interview. Let's take a listen. See the ball in his hands in that situation compared to anybody else on the floor? No, we wanted to see it in our hands. <laughs> we wanted to get a steal. Kawhi, um, when you look back at the game and the body of work, where did things break down defensively for you guys and how? Uh I feel like in that third quarter, um, you know, we didn't score the ball in like the first five minutes, four and a half minutes. Obviously led to them uh, getting out in transition early uh, and, um, you know, a lot of layups and open looks. And that was pretty much the game right there. Went on like a 15, 18-0 run, I believe. And, you know, you can't do that with a, with a championship team on the other side. A little bit different this time. He's back from the the abyss. You all missed him. Rural, welcome back. It's game two of the finals. And yes, you're here right on time. I'm here right on time. And I've finally been free from my exam. So I've got a little bit more time to actually enjoy what's going on with the finals. Had a bit more time to do some in-depth great, uh, Popovich-like analysis. So hopefully I'll be able to enlighten some of the viewers. Great. To what the battles that they watched uh, over the past couple of days. Fantastic. So, obviously, benefit of having you on the podcast is that you're more of a Western Conference expert and especially a Golden State uh, connoisseur, as it were. 
So explain to me how, despite everything going wrong, despite having Duran injured, despite having Boogie in foul trouble, having Clay go off, having Looney injured as well, uh, having Igadola limping through the whole game, how the Warriors managed to win that game after being 10 points down at halftime? Does anyone know how they managed to win? I There's a soul and a spirit to this team that I think it really can't be quashed. It can't be it can't be stopped really. once they get going, that in that third quarter especially, you really see the importance of a player like Draymond Green. When people say, Oh, Draymond, you know, he he fits very well into this team and it is true that if he does go on to a team which doesn't have like a primary and secondary scoring option, well tertiary quaternary scoring option like Golden State, potentially he may not have the same type of impact, but for me, if you have Steph and Draymond on the court for the Warriors, Kay and Durant aside, those two are just the heart, the soul, the engine of the team. I think anything's possible when they're there. So it it doesn't really matter who who else really gets injured as long as they have some of the role players stepping up. They're shooting and making really the open shots that they get. Um, interestingly, yeah, I, I'm just not as shocked with the result as potentially uh, some of the other analysts uh, have been and potentially getting on some of the Toronto players for not uh, matching Kawhi's output during the game. Actually, um, and I brought this up in the first half of the podcast, Kawhi hasn't been that good. If you look at the box score, not, if you look at the box score, he's doing fine. But if you look at him on the floor, he's missing clutch threes. He's not making shots he'd usually make. All of his points are basically coming from the free throw line, which is fine. But mm. he's not the same Kawhi we saw in the last few rounds of the playoffs. That is, of course, because he's injured, because he's fatigued. But I think that the the team are stepping up. You see like so Van Vliet, Danny Green, um, Lowry, of course, who's been well, probably our best player since the Bucks series. You see them all stepping up, and then um, you what you don't have is you don't have that superstar production. Except, of, of course, first game one, we had Siakam shooting 14-17, yeah. which basically was yeah. the Kawhi of that game, as it were. Yeah. But you're not, you, didn't, you didn't see any of that in game two. Um, I guess the question is, you go back to the Oracle now. Do the Raptors think, dang, that was our chance. We split the series, and you know we'll come back to Toronto 3-1 down? Or are they thinking... Well, we blew them out basically in game one. We dominated throughout, held the lead, and in game two, we were literally, uh, you know, we were an inch away from stealing the ball, which would have drawn the game in the end. Of course, it ended up being Egadella sunk the three, as we heard at the start of the podcast. But yeah. it was it was a game of inches in the end. And do we think that it's so close that we can go to Oracle and really mess them up there? Yes, I mean both these teams have shown throughout the season a big um, swing when it comes to home and away uh, in terms of how well they perform. But um, actually, uh, to caveat that, uh, interestingly, I think Golden State are potentially um, a better road team than Toronto are. But um, going to the Oracle, I think obviously that crowd is, Seeing the fight from their team, I think the atmosphere in those two games is going to be rapturous, uh, pardon the pun there. Um, 
it's really yeah. going to be a test of their willpower, of this team's willpower. Will, rather than, you know, shrink or shy away from the occasion, are they going to embrace it? And I think seeing Kawhi's attitude uh, pre-series and during the series, I think um, really his maturity is shining throughout, I think. Um, he's got a, an extremely humble and positive outlook and all of this. And, um, and he just bought a house in Toronto. Did he? Yep. Earlier today. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I was laughing so much like about seeing all the Toronto fans, like what kind of things they were promising him in Toronto. Just like free meals, like condos, um, spa trips, like just trying everything that they possibly can uh, to accommodate the man uh, this off-season and coming into the next season. And he fully deserves it. So He does, that... he does deserve the superstar treatment. So with that in mind, um, game three, what are you saying? Who comes out, not only who wins, but who comes out the stronger? Do the Warriors make it a sixth time where they go into halftime double digits down, which is an astounding stat? Um, yeah. Or do they yeah. come out strong? Do they do the role players step up as they tend to do at home? And do they yeah. essentially put the game out of sight? Um, for me, the key player to watch is DeMarcus Cousins. If he can do remotely close to what he was able to do uh, in game two when it comes to him playing on the defensive end. Although he did get blown past uh, a couple of times by friends, Fred Van Vliet, for example, um, he did get a couple of blocks and he was solid defensively. And I just, the most important thing really is DeMarcus does have the talent to uh, be like Steph's supporting, uh, you know, a secondary option. I know Clay is, uh, a 50-50 as to whether he comes back. But when you have Boogie in the post, Gasol just can't, can't go there and bully. When Gasol, when um, DeMarcus um, wasn't, well, he was there for game one, but he didn't really play that many minutes. Um, Gasol, really, they had to, for the most part, send a double team over when he got the ball in the post, which, and... As we know about Gasol, he is one of the best passing big men, if not the best passing big man in the league. Well, Jokic is better, but uh, tip for tap, they're, they're pretty much one and two there. So um, having a healthy boogie with, um, you know, who, if he's able to maintain a high level of stamina and say play 30 minutes like he did in game two, I think... Um, then the advantage probably swings in Warriors' favour. That's fair. He was he was excellent. I mean, I remember a couple of late plays where he blocked Lowry. Um, even on the offensive end, um, he did, as you say, he's what brilliant playmaking. Got six assists, ten rebounds, and of course he scored eleven points in the end and was perfect from the free throw line, which people, uh, which team opposition teams have struggled with at the um, Scotiabank Arena. On a personal note as well, the first ever. Raptors match I attended live. Um, I had the pleasure of watching Boogie play for the Kings and scoring 38 <laughs> points uh, against a young Jacob Pertle. Uh, so I have some love but also remorse for him in my heart. Last thing we're what going for. What happened to Valanciunas oh. in that game? game. Sorry, Kamal. Valanci- oh, Valanciunas was injured. So it was basically Pertle playing, starting that game. This was in his rookie season in November, wow, I believe. So. Baptism of fire there. He fouled out in yeah. the end um, as well. So, yeah, memories of Boogie from right from the start. Um, so, Durant might be coming back. 
OG mm. and Anubi's coming back. Let's just assume oh. Clay is back. Let's just assume, but Durant coming back, the Warriors, they're not going to be as fun anymore. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, just, it's so beautiful to watch them, isn't it? It does really remind me of um, watching the Spurs maybe four or five years ago, just um, the curls around screens. How many open layups have they had in those first two games? Um, I think oh, that yeah. was a big difference um, in the fourth quarter between the two teams, although the Raptors defended uh, very well for a stretch of the fourth. It's just getting guys sprinting around screen. So by the time they get to the basket, um, Clay scored maybe three or four like left-handed layups where he maybe only had a third, a half-meter advantage over his man, but um, every single time... Um, Whoever had the ball was able to find him, able to make that tough left-handed uh, layup, usually over the uh, rolling big man. So, yeah, it's just, honestly, it's beautiful to watch. And well, here's, I a, do here's agree. a stat. 34 yeah. assists for the Warriors compared to 17 for the Raptors. And the Raptors aren't even a bad playmaking team. No, yeah, The Warriors just, not. I mean, all of that, they um starting lineup. Green got nine assists, Iguodala six, Boogie six, Curry four, and Clay five. And that says it all. That's ridiculous. And maybe, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think the big uh, difference potentially between the two teams is um, in terms of playmaking, potentially Toronto relies more on a individual individual brilliance when it comes to, I don't know, uh, spotting the play or um, letting the play unfold. Uh, if I can just contrast that with the Warriors, like with the Warriors, you can clearly see like, almost every time they come down to the floor, like something, they they flow so easily into um, like a plan B if their initial mode of attack doesn't work. Like um, it, it is, it is just beautiful to watch. For sure. Um, and so how do you think in that context, KD is going to affect game three? We're not, I mean, of course it's going to be a great matchup with Kawhi one on one. But in terms of how we affect the Warriors' play style, do you think it's be significant? Um, of course. Um, actually, I'd like to know what your opinion on it is. And also, um, would you be able to say with certainty that uh, Kawhi Durant is going to be the matchup? I think on the Raptors' end, it will be. It'll be just because of that he's, he's... Well, maybe it'll be Siakam on Kawhi. Who knows? Um, uh, sorry, yeah, Siakam on Durant. Durant. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Potentially, just because he's got that extra length, but but I think um, also, K- but I think KD might KD might defend Kawhi. They he Kerr switched up last game, interestingly, mid game, which really had an effect. Um, I believe he put Iguodala on Kawhi, and then he put Green or no Iguodala on Siakam, and then he put Green on Lowry and Clay on Kawhi. And Clay on Kawhi worked really well, as did the other two matchups. So he yeah, might. Clay on he Kawhi might... Was, that's a fantastic choice. I mean, he's only like an inch shorter than him, and obviously he can keep up with Kawhi's drives, can't he? So. Yep. Clay's, I mean, Clay and Steph have been revelations this this playoffs. I mean, I say revelations, yeah. not that they haven't done it all their career, but yeah, they've, they've yeah. just turned, turned, turned the screw up when it's needed. Uh, so yeah, I guess I to end it then, um, what's yeah. your score prediction? for games three and, I guess, games three and four, because I don't imagine it'll be too different whether it's 1-1 or 2-1 to either team. Yeah, I think I see with almost 
clear, clairvoyant certainty uh, the Warriors taking game three. And it's game four for me that, that I'm flip-flopping on. Um, I think in game three, if all of the players are healthy, the Raptors are going to... The Raptors' main saving grace so far has been how stout their defense has been. And I think in game three, again, with those guys coming back, um, the Warriors are going to be throwing them new looks that potentially they may not be able to deal with. And they may be able to adjust to that by game four. Um, so if I'm putting everything on the line, I probably have to go 3-1 Warriors. That's fair. Um, yeah. I would say the opposite. I'd say, game three, I'd say game three, um, you've seen the response, whether against Philly or Bucks, what the Raptors have to an unlike a game or a poor game this year. So you take game three, but I think then um, the Warriors will. I mean, I've, I, my prediction before this was Warriors in six, and I, yeah, I'll maintain that. So 2-2 two, two going back to Toronto or 3-1? 2 2 going back to Toronto. They'll take another game in Toronto and they'll come back home and win it. Wow, okay. Yep, that's it. Uh, and that's all we have time for before you crucify me for my lack of faith. Uh, we'll see you after game four. Um, and, yeah, that's it, people. Enjoy, enjoy yourselves. I certainly will be. Fantastic.